Om, lead us from the unreal to the real, lead us from darkness unto light, lead us from death to immortality. Om, peace, peace, peace. The subject we have got today is the analysis of the great teaching. See, what is this about? When we were discussing in the last few weeks a wonderful mantra from the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad, one of my most favorite mantras in the uh, Upanishads, it is Atmanam Jed Vijaniyat Ayam Asmiti Purushaha Kimichan Kasya Kamaya Shariram Anusangjuarit. If um, if one were to realize that I am this Atman, this Atman means that the person were to realize that I am I am not this body, not this subtle body, the mind, or the causal body beyond the mind, the the consciousness which is a witness of the three bodies, the consciousness which is a witness of the three states of waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. Uh, the consciousness which is a witness, the substratum of the five sheets of the human personality, the Annamaya, Pranamaya, Manomaya, Vijnanamaya, Anandamaya. If I, were, if I were to realize this, then what would be the result? Kimichan kasya kamaya shariram anusangjwaret. Desiring what and for whose sake would one continue to suffer with the body, would, along with the body, would one continue to suffer with the body? What does it mean? Uh, that if, and that if is a big one, uh, it means that, that if we take to spiritual life and we become enlightened, then this follows. If we do not, then samsara will continue. Enlightenment requires a, a conscious choice that we take up spiritual life and methodically pursue it till enlightenment. Then only the results are available. Otherwise, by default, whatever is there, that will continue. If we keep doing what we have been doing, the results will also keep coming. Um, is some good definition of insanity is to keep on doing the same thing and expect a different result. If, that if is a big thing, it's a conscious decision. You see, enlightenment, it is true that inevitably, maybe one day everybody will become enlightened. Um, in some life, some time. But even there, the point that the mantra is making, even there when we become enlightened, it will be only by this knowledge of our real nature, of who or what we really are. So this knowledge is, is what is being taught here. Once we get this knowledge, what will happen? We transcend desire. Desiring what? This pursuit of limited desires, thinking that this will give me happiness, that is transcended. We transcend the limited person, for whose sake? Kasya kamaya, for whose sake? We realize that we are not this limited person we thought we were, this one person in this one body and mind. We transcend these limitations. And then what is the result? Uh, that sharira, anusangjara, the suffering along with the body and the mind, you transcend suffering. That is the result. Overcoming suffering, attainment of fulfillment, that is the result of spiritual life. Now the core of it is, Atmanam ched vijaniyad. Ched here means the if. Vijaniyad. If you realize the self is this, I am asbi, I am this infinite existence consciousness place. So this is the core of Vedanta. The whole thing can be uh, comp compressed, summarized, 
in the great uh, mahavakya tatvamasi that thou art these these sentences which you find scattered across the upanishads they summarize the whole of the teachings of the upanishads the whole of vedanta the mahavakyas tatvamasi from the chandogya upanishad which means that thou art the teacher who is also the father there uddalaka tells his son shweta shweta ketu that thou art tatvamasi the same meaning you find in uh, the brihadaranyak upanishad yaham brahmasmi i am brahman it's the same meaning um, the same thing you find in the uh, mandukya upanishad ayam atma brahma this very self is brahman uh, or in the aitareya upanishad pragyanam brahma the awareness that we find within ourselves that is actually if you would truly know what it is you would find the infinity you would find brahman there so one has been one sentence from one of the upanishads of one of the each of the four vedas so four mahavakyas we take conventionally but many such sentences are there technically speaking there are many mahavakyas just representative we take four now the the subject matter today is this mahavakya analysis of this mahavakya so what i what i'm going to do today is talk about the the mahavakya which is the essence the heart of advaita vedanta and uh, we will take up the tatvamasi that thou art and we'll see how to understand the meaning of the mahavakya so this is the subject this morning the analysis of the meaning of the mahavakya great teaching here means you are brahman you are that that thou art that is the great teaching and we're going to analyze that it's a sentence just like any other sentence a sentence it's comprised of words that thou art tat tvam asi tat means that what is that we will see tvam means thou or you asi is you are you are that it's an it's an identity statement it's telling us something about ourselves it's to understand the meaning of any sentence you need to know the meanings of the words so to understand the meaning of that thou art tatvamasi we need to understand the meanings of the words and uh, the meaning should be taken from the context where the sentence has been taken from the sentence is from the chandogya upanishad the 6th chapter where the father uddalaka he sees his son uh, and um, coming back from graduated from school you know coming back from school and very proud of his learning and uh, the father in order to diffuse deflate him asks him a question son did your teachers in school did they teach you that knowledge by knowing which everything is known and obviously the son is perplexed what kind of knowledge could that be i mean by knowing chemistry you know chemistry and by knowing biology you know biology by learning sanskrit one knows sanskrit but by learning one subject one does not learn every subject how is that even possible is there such a knowledge by knowing which everything can be known and how is it possible and then the father gives him a series of very famous uh, examples by knowing one lump of clay we know all the parts the kinds of pottery that can be made out of that clay by knowing one lump of gold one knows the essence of whatever kind of jewelry the ornaments that can be made out of that gold if you make a necklace out of it it's the same gold if you make a, a bracelet out of it it's the same gold if you make a, a crown or a tiara out of it it's the same gold 
Just by knowing the iron, one can know the nature of all the implements made out of that iron, and so on. He gives series of uh, examples. Notice one interesting thing. By so saying that I know all the parts, not necessarily that I will know all the shapes of the parts, the characteristics of the parts, the price of the parts. No. That depends upon the ingenuity of the, uh, the potter and maybe the marketing officer or whatever. But I know one thing. It is clay. Whatever kind of pot you make out of that clay, I know one thing. It is clay through and through. The top is clay, bottom is clay, sides are clay, inside, outside, everything is just that clay, that, that lump of clay which I know. Similarly, there is one reality by knowing which everything in this world, what you consider to be real in this world, that can be known. How is this possible? So what the father wants to tell the son is that there is, if you know the material cause of something, then you know the reality of whatever is made out of the material cause, upadana karana. By material cause I mean like the clay. If you know it is clay, then you know anything that is made out of clay that it will be clay and clay alone, nothing other than clay. As long as it is made out of that clay, you know that it is clay and clay alone. Once you know the material cause of something, you know the nature of all the products. Once you know the nature of the karana, cause, you know the nature of all the products, karyam. If the karana is known, the karyam will also be known. The material cause of the entire universe, the basis, the substratum. So, well, first of all, it has proved one thing, that it is possible by knowing one thing to know many things. If you know the underlying reality of something, you know the variety which comes out of it. By that I mean the, the essence of that variety, not the names and forms. That can change. So, then his father, Shwetaketu's father tells him, So, Sadeva Samya Idamagrasit. Before all these, this entire universe was manifested, it was one existence alone. One alone, without a second. There was nothing else except that one existence. Think of, think of existence itself. Just like you thought of clay as the reality of all the pots. Gold as the reality, the substance of all the ornaments. Uh, the uh, iron as the reality of all the iron implements. Think of, think of existence itself as the reality of all the existing things. After all, what do you consider real? Something that exists. You see, think about it. It's a subtle point, but we never think in this way. What do we consider to be a reality? Reality is anything that exists, anything that is true. That's what we consider real. So these chairs and tables, these people, even this so-called empty space, is it real or not? Yes, that's what we consider to be real. Now this reality means existence. It is. Think of isness, existence. Just in the way we, analogically, as we are thinking of clay or, or uh, clay in the pots or iron in the implements or gold in the uh, ornaments. So that one existence from which this entire universe came, that tatsat, so that existence from which the entire universe has come, that is the meaning of the word tat. How does that come about? After he explains all of these things to his son, the teacher or the father, uh, Uddalaka. You can imagine the son being a sort of arrogant kind of teenager, self-sure. He still might be looking defiant and saying, yeah, so, so what? Then his father says, Tat tvam asi, that thou art, 
all this which I was talking about till now, I'm talking about you. It's your reality. Now, our favorite subject in the world is ourselves. The moment the father says, you are that, now the boy can no longer ignore it. He's talking about me. How can I ignore myself? Now, after all, the boy is full of himself. So, my father all the time has been talking about my real nature, Tattva Masi. And still doesn't understand quite exactly what his father is trying to tell him. So he asks, please explain it to me again. Nine times in that chapter, his father uh, explains. And every time, after every explanation, every example, he concludes, Tattvamasi. There is one existence behind this entire universe, and that thou art, Tattvamasi. So that's where the sentence comes from, Tattvamasi. Um, so we need to understand the meaning of Tat and Thvam. That and thou, what does that mean in that sentence, in that context? And what does thou, you, mean in that sentence? First of all, what you means there is very obvious. The teacher or the father is talking to his son. It you means Shweta Ketu. Or in general, it just means the individual being, us, each of us. Every individual being is meant by the word you. Tvam. Tvam means Thou or you. So you simply means you or I or any or any one of us, any sentient being, any jiva, to use the technical term, jiva. Jiva is a sentient being. More precisely, if we inquire into ourselves right now, what exactly is our conception of ourselves? Nothing very philosophical. It will sound abstract, but it actually is a nice description of a precise description of how we experience ourselves. So that the precise meaning of Tvam, the Jiva, is an awareness associated with limited by, enclosed by, so to say, body-mind. And isn't that how we think of ourselves? If you look at ourselves, each of us, what do we think of ourselves? I'm this person. What is this person? Well, first of all, here is the body. So are you just a mass of flesh and blood? No. I am a living body. So are you just a living body and nothing more? No. I am a living, thinking, feeling, remembering, desiring, understanding, loving, hating. Body-mind. And in this body-mind, are you not aware? Yeah, I am aware also. Isn't the awareness central to it? The awareness in this body, isn't it central to your, your conception of yourself? Why? Because every change that you make in the body, body becomes from baby to teenager to youth to older, I am the same. Body, the mind changes. So many new thoughts come, new things we learn, old things we forget. But it is my mind. I am the same person. I the mind which I had as a child, as a teenager, as a young person, as an old person. But it changes, but I am the same person. But just imagine, suppose the awareness were not there. It changed. Earlier you were aware, now no awareness. Do, would you still consider that you are existing? No. It would be dark. Suppose I'm not aware of anything. Body is there. Others are aware. The body is in coma or something. But I'm not aware of anything then I would consider then that person has been extinguished. That person is not there. So, it is true, body, mind, awareness, but the awareness is what we consider ourselves to be, surrounded by, associated by, sort of enclosed with the body-mind. This is the meaning of the word Tvam. 
let me introduce, we'll be introducing a number of technicalities. So one more technical term. Let me introduce the uh, technical term primary meaning. Why primary meaning? We will see. Primary meaning. Primary meaning means the dictionary meaning in Sanskrit abhidhartha or mukhyartha, vachyartha. Vachyartha literally means literal meaning. What you would normally see in a dictionary, what we normally understand. When, we under, when I say you or him or her, he or she, we understand body, mind, that awareness behind it. So this is the primary meaning or vachyartha of the term tvam, thou. And it's nothing difficult. It's every one of us, we understand that. And Vedanta tells us, by inquiry we will find that we are not the body really. The body is there, but we are not the body. Uh, we are not, the, not even the mind with thoughts and feelings, our personality, that that mind con contains the entirety of our personality. We are not even the awareness which you find in the mind, but we are an unlimited awareness being reflected in the mind as awareness. That's a lot. But what I mean is, we are that, uh, we are... If you look at the awareness in the mind, it is coming from um, an unlimited awareness. This is a limited awareness in this mind. It's an unlimited awareness which is shining in and through the mind. One uh, nice uh, example which I read in it originally in Hindi. It was like this. Um, a man in a hut, imagine a little hut which is dark man sitting in the hut sees a, a strange light, little light in the hut. And he wonders, where is this light coming from? Then he sees, near the window, there's a small window. Near the window there is a dish, a plate, a dish, which has water. And that water is sparkling. And the water is shining. And from that shining water, a little bit of light is being scattered in the dark room. And then he wonders, where is the light in the water coming from? When he looks at the water, he sees a little sun shining brightly in that water. And he thought, where is that light in the water, that sun, where did it come from? And he looks out of the window and sees in the sky the blazing sun, which is illumining the whole world. And one ray of that coming is coming through the uh, window and falling in that dish of water and making a reflected little sun there, which is sparkling, illumining the dish and the water and throwing a little bit of light into the room also. So, exactly like that. When we experience, see, notice our own experiences. I am seeing, I am hearing, I am smelling, I am tasting, I am touching. We wonder where is this light, this experience, this awareness in our senses, in our eyes, ears, uh, in our touch, smell, taste. Where is it coming from? And we trace it back, it's all from the mind. You just notice all our awareness first is in the mind. I am aware. Then when I connect to the eyes, yes, the eyes feel aware. I'm having a visual, conscious visual experience. Connect to the ears, I'm having a conscious auditory experience. But that consciousness is in the mind. Just like the, the body is like the dish and the mind is uh, like the water in the dish. And in that water there's a reflected sun tiny sparkling sun. Similarly, in our mind, there's this burst of consciousness. This is called reflected consciousness or chidabhasa. And the whole process of Vedanta has not yet started. Real process of Vedanta is tracing back the chidabhasa to its source, tracing back the reflected sun to its source, the blazing sun in the sky. Similarly, this consciousness is not really our true nature. 
our true nature is that pure consciousness, uh, Atman, which in the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad mantra it said, I am Masmiti Purusha, that is, that is my real nature. So that's what, what we have to realize. You see, I don't, I don't get it, I don't experience that. Doesn't matter, that's why we are here, <laughs> to, to finally go there. It's fine as, as long as we understand, here is the body, here is the mind, in ourselves, and in the mind there is consciousness. Up to that, if we understand, perfectly alright, we can proceed. Why I'm saying all this is, the primary meaning, the vachyartha, the primary meaning of the word tvam, is now pure consciousness plus mind and the reflected consciousness in the mind and also the body which is incidentally associated with this mind in this birth. This is the meaning, the vachyartha of the primary meaning of the word tvam, you. What are we doing here? We are trying to find out the meanings of the words that and thou. Tat and tuam. Because we want to understand, we are analyzing the great teaching that thou art. So now we have got the meaning, the primary meaning of the word tuam, you. Why primary? Is there a secondary meaning? Yes, there is. We will see later. Now the other word. What is the other word? That. Tat tuamasi. For that, to meaning of the word that, tat, we have to go back to the Upanishad itself, the context. And that is, it says, um, that existence from which the entire universe has come. Now, technically in Vedanta, and in fact in all theistic religions, that from which the entire universe has come, in which it exists, into which it will disappear after some time, srishti, sthiti, pralaya, creation, existence and finally dissolution. That. What is that? That is God. According to any uh, theistic religion, God is the creator, preserver and destroyer. Finally, the destroyer of the entire universe. In the Brahma Sutras, definition of Brahman is given. We always think Brahman must be Satchidananda. So no, the, the most common universally acceptable definition of Brahman is the creator, preserver and destroyer of this world. One reason is, if you talk about pure existence, pure consciousness, pure bliss, we are not sure what is meant. But we are very sure about this world, it's there. And if you explain something in terms of this world, it's easier to catch. The creator of this world, you see this world? Yes, the creator of this world. The reality in which this, this world exists, and that into which this world will finally dissolve. That is called Brahma. Janmadhyasya Yataha, in the second uh, sutra of the Brahma Sutras, which are all based on the Upanishads. Asya Jagata Janma Sthiti Bhanga Yasmat Tad Brahma, of this entire universe, wherefrom is the creation, in which it exists, into which it disappears, that is Brahman. And what Brahman is, is being talked about here? Not the absolute reality, it is Saguna Brahman, Ishwar or God. So the God of the universe, the creator of the entire universe is being talked about here. Now, there is a problem. So what is this God of the entire universe? According to Vedanta, technically speaking, it is that pure consciousness which we talked about earlier. That same pure consciousness. But now, limited, or let's say associated with the power of Maya and the creator of the subtle universe, the cosmic mind, the creator of the physical universe which we see around here, the entire gross universe. Uh, 
So consciousness associated with maya, associated with the cosmic mind, associated with the cosmic body, associated with the maya, that consciousness gets the name Ishwara, Saguna Brahman. That associated with maya and the cosmic mind, that consciousness gets the name Hiranyagarbha. Associated with maya and the cosmic mind and this entire universe, universe is his body, it gets the name Virat or Vishwarupa. What Arjuna saw in the 11th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. So that is the meaning, an amazing, stunning meaning. The God of all theistic religions. That is the meaning of that. What meaning? Primary meaning. Vachyartha. Primary meaning of the word that. That is what we understand when we hear that. That is what we understand when we hear Tvam. This being. Consciousness. Mind. Reflected consciousness. Body. And so notice the similarity. Consciousness being filtered through, we, we can call it the causal body or ignorance, then the subtle body, then the physical body. That is the meaning of the individual being, Tvam. Consciousness shining through the cosmic causal body, Maya. And the cosmic subtle body and the cosmic physical body is called Tat. Thou, uh, that, that reality, or Brahman. So, three levels of filtering. Causal, subtle, and physical or gross. Now, we have got the primary meaning, Vachyartha, of that and thou. So, yes, fine, hurry it up, we understand all this. <laughs> but do you notice, we have landed up ourselves in a nice little soup. Big problem. Why? When you say, that thou art, you are that. Huge contradiction. I, this individual being, how can I be that? The creator, preserver and destroyer of the universe, uh, which is associated with maya, which is associated with the cosmic mind, which is associated with the universe as its body. Universe is not my body. My body is this much only. All minds are not my mind. My mind is this mind only. So, I am the limited individual. That is the unlimited God. How can they be the same? That thou art does not make sense. Vedanta puts it in this way. That reality is Sarvashaktiman, all-powerful, omnipotent. All powers are there. I am Alpashaktiman. I am the individual. Thou, you are the individual. So little power. We are helpless. We are really helpless. A tiny, tiny COVID. Helpless. Whole... I remember... Last year, I was in Boston and uh, I was on, uh, in a cab. At that time, the, the virus had just started and uh, Harvard University was shutting down. And this cab driver, I think he was a Middle Eastern guy, he was telling me, you know, this is real power. He had a thick accent. This is real power. One tiny thing and all our civilization grounds to a halt. And he was right over the last one and a half years. So... We are so helpless. Alpa Shaktiman. Our knowledge is so limited. Alpa Gya. The more we know, the more we realize how much we do not know. And God is omniscient, all-knowing. Cosmic mind, all-knowing. One big difference. You may have noted it, but it's a crucial difference. I, my existence, is certain. 
I am directly, I am aware of this. I am aware of my own existence. If there is one thing that I am certain of, one thing that is first and primarily revealed to me, it is my own existence. This is called Aparoksha. My own existence is all the time directly revealed to me. I exist and after that I am aware of you all and the world. My own existence is primary. See, if you are there, how do I know? I have to see. Who came to today's talk? I have to ask. I have to see, I have to ask, I have to look at records or something like that. So I depend on external instruments to verify the existence of external people and things and events. What is happening in the world? I must look at the news. But about my own existence, am I here? Do I have to look? Do I have to touch? Am I here? Yes, I am here. No. I do not have to deploy any of my instruments of knowledge to get knowledge about my own existence. My own existence is primary. It comes before I know anything else. So this directly evident self-existence is called aparoksha. Tao, what I mean here is, you, the term you, tvam, is directly present. Is, is, um, its existence is aparoksha, direct, immediately aware. You don't need to know, and you don't need to prove it. It's automatically self-manifesting. And in contrast, that, God, creator, preserver, destroyer of the universe, cosmic mind, cosmic body, and so on and so forth. How do you know about it? What is the proof of the existence of that God? You say either we read about it in the Upanishads or in the scriptures of the world, the different theistic religions. Some religions don't even talk about that God. So, scriptures tell us the great mystics of the world, those who have experienced, had a vision of God, they tell us, oh, we saw. Uh, so, we have to depend on sources beyond our direct knowledge. It is not directly evident to us, it's not aparoksha. We don't even see it. It is paroksha. Paroksha means not directly evident, not even seen by the senses. So seen by the senses is called pratyaksha. Not even seen by the senses. Paroksha beyond the range of our senses. Beyond the range of our senses, not that we do not know about it, but we know about it through secondary sources. So we have heard about it, we believe in it, we have heard about it from, yes, reliable sources, from great saints and uh, mystics. We have read about it in the great scriptures of the world, fine. But the crucial point I want to make here is, Tat, the word that, refers to God who is Paroksha. So these are the differences between Tvam and Tat, between you and that. The differences are, the differences are that I am small and that is vast. I am. Um, I have limited power, alpa shakti, that is sarva shakti, all powerful. I have limited knowledge, alpagya, that is all knowing, omniscient. But most crucially, I am directly evident to myself. My existence is very clear to me, aparoksha, uh, not dependent on anything else. In fact, my knowledge of everything else this depends first on my own existence. So my existence is aparoksha, but the existence of that is paroksha, is beyond um, the range of my senses and certainly not directly evident to me, the existence of that. Alright, so what have we done? We have a catalogue of differences, that and thou, tat and tvam, very different. And what did the great saying, the great teaching tell us? 
that thou art. You are that tattvamasi. How? Our question is how? If you think about it, this sentence does not make any sense at all. And yet, Upanishads, so it must make sense. You see, first of all, one must appreciate the problem. The problem is that and thou are not compatible. Clearly different. And then, how do you uh, say that that thou art tattvamasi? And yet this is very important because this is the heart of Vedanta. Without understanding this, we have no way of understanding Vedanta. So what do you do? What we normally do whenever we come across something is, which is true but we don't understand, the primary meaning, the vachyartha, we take an implied meaning. When the primary meaning does not work, you take a secondary meaning or implied meaning. In Sanskrit, when vachyartha does not work, you take lakshyartha. Direct meaning does not work, you take lakshyartha. The Ganga is the river uh, from Gangotri to the Bay of Bengal, Ganga Sagar. Okay? I took a bath in the Ganga. Did you take a bath from Gangotri to Ganga Sagar? No. It is understood. We take immediately take the implied meaning. That the meaning of Ganga which you are using is at some point in the Ganga you took a dip in the river. That's all. And we automatically, easily take the implied meaning. I bought a mango, delicious mango. I ate the mango. We immediately take the implied meaning. He said, when you bought the mango, you mean the entire mango. The skin and the flesh and the seed inside it. But when you say, I ate the mango, you, we all understand. You mean that you ate the flesh of the mango. You didn't eat the seed or the skin or anything. We took, that we see the same word mango. In one uh, sense, we meant the entire fruit. In the next meaning sentence, same word is used. But we understand it means only part of that fruit, the edible part. Same word, Ganga. It means the entire river or only one spot at one time. Similarly, we have to perform this kind of operation on that thou art, Tattvamasi. To do what? To go from the primary meaning, Vachyartha, to an implied meaning. Why? Because the primary meaning doesn't work. It's full of contradictions. It's full of contradictions. To make sense of this sentence, we have to go to the implied meaning. Now, here is some more uh, technicality. Implied meaning can come in many ways. There are many options in Sanskrit to get implied meaning out of some words. One is called Jahad Lakshana. Jahad Lakshana means getting the implied meaning by giving up the original meaning. What is the original meaning? The Vachyartha. The primary meaning. Give up that. Take a new meaning. And then the sentence will make sense. The example they gave classically. By the way, all this I am saying today is based on a variety of sources. Of course, the original Brihadaranyaka Upanishad mantra. But also Panchadashi, Vidyaranyas, Panchadashi, the seventh chapter, Tripti Deepaha. Uh, but also Shankaracharya's Vakya Vritti, where he, the whole, it's a little small book, but the whole book is on uh, analysis of that thou art. So I'm depending on that. Vidyarani also depends on that. He quotes extensively from Bhakyavitti. But I'm also depending on those who are attending the, the Vedanta Sara classes. You will see I'm heavily borrowing from that also. So multiple sources. Now, the first way of getting an implied meaning is called Jahad Lakshana. Jahad Lakshana means you give up the original meaning. The example they give is in the Vedanta Sara. Ganga Ayam Ghoshaha. The, the village of the cowherds is in the Ganga, the river Ganga. 
Now that doesn't make sense. How can the cowherd say stay in a river? They're going to drown along with the cows. So what you mean is whenever you say that, you mean it's on the bank of the river. When you say famously, Shakespeare's house, Stratford on Avon, it's on the bank of the river Avon. You say Manhattan on the Hudson. Doesn't mean Manhattan is inside the Hudson. It means Manhattan is on the bank of the river Hudson. Some of the early letters from Swami Vivekananda, you see letterhead. Belur on Ganges or Belur on the Ganga. It means the monastery which is on the bank of the Ganga, bank of the river Ganga. So what we do is, we give up the meaning of the original word Ganga, which is the river, which is water. We give up the meaning. We take a proximate meaning. What is the proximate meaning? Bank of the river, near the river. So, Gangayam Ghosha means the, the village or the colony or the neighborhood of the cowherds is on the bank of the river Ganga. We have taken an implied meaning. Can we do that? Can we take an implied, this, uh, uh, implied meaning by giving up the original meaning of Tat or Tvam? No, we cannot. Because um, our Vedanta says, I am that infinite consciousness. And what is the meaning of Tvam or Tat? The meaning of Tvam, of, of Tao, if the primary meaning is that infinite consciousness, I remember the sun in the sky, that sun in the sky, plus the dish and the water and the reflected sun. Now if you give up the entire meaning, you're giving up the sun also. Infinite consciousness, Brahman, reflected in this mind as the reflected consciousness, associated with this mind and body, is the meaning of Tvam, you, I. If I give up this entire meaning, and try to take some other meaning, nearby meaning, what will happen is that infinite consciousness also will be given up. I can't do that. Do you see why we cannot take this uh, jahad lakshana, giving up the meaning? We can't give up the meaning because the meaning includes a part of the meaning is what we want to uh, point out. What, when you want to say, what is the source of the light in that little hut? Is it the hut? Is it the dish? Is it the water? Is it the reflected sun? Or is the source the real sun? If you give up the entire series, Heart, dish, water, reflected sun, sun in the sky. You will never come to the source of the light. The source of the light is the real sun. It is part of that collection, that series. So we can't give up the whole meaning. Then another method we take up for finding out the implied meaning. The other method is called Ajahad Lakshana. Ajahad Lakshana. Ajahad Lakshana means instead of giving up the meaning, you keep the meaning. Keep the primary meaning. Vachyartha add something to it, then the sentence will make sense. How? All these are all common techniques we use. We just, we are giving them fancy names. Jahad Lakshana, Ajahad Lakshana, but we use them all the time. So, um, example, example is, a very cute example they use in Vedanta Sara, Shona Dhavati. Shona Dhavati means red, the, the brown one or the red one is running. How can red, red is a color. How can it um, uh, race? So its reference is to uh, horse racing. So we know that uh, the Vedantins in old days were not bore, boring people. They went to horse races. So the red one is running means the red horse is running. You add one more word. Keep the word red. Keep the word running. Add one more word. Uh, Shona Ashwa Dhavati. Ashwa means horse. So the red horse is running. Now the sentence makes sense. Oh. Red horse, of course. The red horse is running or winning or whatever. 
Can we do that? Can we keep all of it, whatever we have got, tat and thwam, and add something from outside which will make it, uh, uh, which make this uh, work? Can we add thwam to tat or tat to thwam and then make it work? No. You have um, thwam. Thwam means the individual being. I, the individual being. I retain myself, body, mind, individual, sarvapriyananda, plus add God of the universe. God plus this miserable creature. Will it overcome my sufferings? No. It will not. Because the source of suffering is still kept there. What is the source of suffering? I am this limited being. To me, whatever you add, the source of the misery is still there. If I have a cut in the arm, in, in my hand, and I add few more hands to me, and become like a deity, you know, like the Gudurga or something like that, will the pain in that hand go away? No. So, you cannot add something to the original meaning to make this sentence that thou art work. This, this second option, Ajahad Lakshana, Keeping the original meaning, primary meaning, adding something more, making sense, does not make sense. It will not give the meaning of, you know, Chidananda, Rupa, Shivoham, that ultimate result which we are looking for won't come this way. Then there is one more option in Sanskrit, uh, which is called Jahad Ajahad Lakshana, which is what we are looking for basically, which allows you to keep a part of the original meaning and give up a part of the uh, meaning, uh, you know, to, to retain a part of the original meaning and give up some uh, incidental, accidental, superimposed, uh, unimportant aspect. Example, the example which they gave is Soyam Devadatta. This is that Devadatta. Devadatta is just a guy. So Devadatta, imagine you met Devadatta in, in Mumbai um, 20 years ago. So that Devadatta was 20 years ago in the past. That Devadatta was in a different place in, in uh, Mumbai. And this Devadatta is here in the present. This Devadatta is here in Manhattan. Different place, different time. That Devadatta was young. This Devadatta is middle-aged. That Devadatta was slim. This Devadatta is plump. So there's so much different. That Devadatta had a lot of hair. This Devadatta is bald. So many differences. But when you say, this is that Devadatta, we always do that. When you recognize anybody after a long time, or any place after a long time, you do that. What do you do? You set aside all the not essential, not relevant features. That the Devadatta was in Mumbai as in, in Manhattan does not affect the fact that he is Devadatta. That he was at one time young and now not so young does not affect the fact that he is Devadatta. That he looked different at that time, now looks a little bit different, does not affect the fact that he is Devadatta. Similarly, here can we apply this partial giving up the meaning, partial retaining the meaning, and make sense of that thou art, yes. When we say that thou art, we give up the contradictory aspects. See, when you say this is that Devadatta, did you not give up the contradictory aspects? Is it, does it make sense to say this is that Devadatta? What is he? Young old Devadatta. Um, hairy bald Devadatta. Mumbai Manhattan Devadatta. It's not possible. These are contradictory things. You cannot have them at the same time. So, you give up these contradictory things. In the same way that thou art, you have to give up the contradictory aspects, which is not allowing you to fit the two together. Not allowing you to establish an identity. What are the contradictory aspects? 
ऑल पावरफुल वेरी लिटिल पावर सर्वशक्तिमान अल्पशक्तिमान ऑल नोइंग तत् लिटिल नोइंग दिस तम दिस पर्सन यू गिव अप दीज कॉन्ट्राडिक्टरी एस्पेक्ट्स ओमनिशियंट लिटिल नोइंग सर्वशक्तिमान अल्पशक्तिमान सर्वज्ञ अल्पज्ञ यू गिव अप दीज वंस एंड यू टेक द वन विच इज कॉमन टू बोथ which is the underlying reality of both what is the underlying reality of both it is that one consciousness which through one individual body mind becomes tvam through the cosmic maya cosmic mind cosmic body is the tat you you ignore the individual body mind the individual causal body individual causal mind individual um, uh, individual causal physical body the cosmic maya the cosmic mind and the cosmic body and you take the underlying reality are you allowed to do that yes here you understand the teaching of the uh, importance of the advaitic doctrine of jagat mithyatva the falsity of the universe that the universe is an appearance if you do not um, take it to be an appearance you cannot ignore them if you are really associated with uh, these these are real uh, entities then you cannot ignore them it's like saying so suppose somebody watches two movies on a screen one is a tragedy one is a comedy and if somebody says the tragedy is the comedy the tragedy is the same as the comedy it doesn't seem to be so how can a tragedy be the same as the comedy the characters were different the situation story is different one makes you laugh other one makes you cry how can they be the same they are two different experiences and yet the fact is it is the same screen which appeared as the tragedy and which appeared as the comedy what you mean by saying the tragedy and the comedy are the same is the background reality is the same you had a dream which was a nightmare you had a dream which is pleasant you met your friends things were nice and if you say that nightmare and the pleasant dream are the same what do you mean underlying both are you the dreamer and both of the dreams are not real they are dreams they didn't really happen in the same way uh, when you say that thou art and we take this jahad ajahad lakshana we disregard the the individual causal subtle and physical bodies the cosmic um, causal body maya and the subtle body uh, here in uh, the cosmic mind and the cosmic physical body and we take the underlying existence consciousness place the screen on which these movies are playing and we take that only in from that perspective that thou art that thou art take the sun in the sky example again the sun in the sky is shining and below in the garden there are 10 pots and each pot there is water in each pot there is a tiny shining sun now you take one pot and you find out where this sun is coming from you go back to the sun in the sky and there sits the same sun in the sky shining in all the other nine pots also ignore the nine pots and the single pot ignore the water ignore the reflected suns take the only one common sense then you can say the reality of the one part is equal to the reality of the nine parts what is the reality of the one part the light source of light that one sun what is the source of light of the nine different parts that one sun now be careful when you apply these uh, examples because in exam in this example for example uh, the sun is there in the sky 
and separately there is a garden with nine or ten pots and there is water in that. So don't take, go to that. In Advaita Vedanta, there is only one consciousness in which these are appearances. There is nothing outside that. So the meaning, final meaning of that thou art is established by Jahad Ajahad Lakshana. It's an implied meaning. This is called Lakshyartha. What is the Lakshyartha of Tvam? Pure consciousness. What is the Lakshyartha of Tat? Pure consciousness. The Lakshyartha of Tvam is pure consciousness. Lakshyartha of Tat is pure consciousness. As that, Tat Tvamasi, that thou art is established. The equation works. Alright, this sounds very complicated. What does it mean in practical terms? In practical terms, what it means is that we have to trace out, we have to realize ourselves as pure consciousness. Then you have got the essence of yourself and of God. That's the meaning of Tattvamasi. Then you can say, Aham Brahmasmi. What we do is, we first of all, we have to see through the process of Vedantic inquiry. I am not this body, not this mind. I am the witness of this body and mind. You can do it in many ways. Drik Drishya Viveka, we have talked about it. You can do it in Panchakosha Viveka, the analysis of seer and seen, the analysis of the five sheets. You can do it in Avasthatraya Viveka, the analysis of the three states, awaking, dreaming and deep sleep. Whichever way you go, what will you come to? You will come to, in Drik Drishya Viveka, you will come to the Drashta, Sakshi, pure consciousness. In Panchakosha, in an analysis of five sheets, you will come to the Panchakosha Vilakshanatma, the consciousness which is distinct, underlying, illumining the five and infusing the five uh, sheets. In uh, Avasthatraya, the waking, dreaming, deep sleep analysis, what will you come to uh, finally? Turiya, the fourth. Not the waker, not the dreamer, not the deep sleeper, but the underlying consciousness of the three, the fourth, Turiya. It's all the same. Whether it's the Turiya or the consciousness witness of the five sheets or the pure the Sakshi witness of, the, of all Drishya, it's the same thing. Now what you have to do is to see that this Sakshi, this witness consciousness, this Turiya, you see that it is infinite. It has no limitations. It is beyond death. It is always free of karma. It is ever liberated. Um, this is called Brahman. And you realize, I am Brahman. Aham Brahmasmi. Ayam Masmiti Purusha. Atmanam Ched Vijaniyat. Ayam Masmiti Purusha. I realize that I am this uh, infinite consciousness, this Brahman. See, two errors have to be corrected. This whole process is a correction of two errors. Cor error about God, error about myself. And follow this carefully. Vidyarnya points it out. Subtle point. Um, what is the error about myself? The error about myself is that. Um, at this most subtle level, I'm not even talking about body, mind and all of that. I'm talking about the witness consciousness. Once we discover the witness consciousness, I am the witness of body and mind. There's an error. What is the error? It is the, the limited nature, parichinnatvam, the limited nature of this consciousness. I am this consciousness, but I am not the reality of the entire universe. I'm just this witness of this body and mind. This is the error. What is the error about God? That God is paroksha, something other than me. That is the error about God. There is something out there called God, which I am which calling that. This is the error about God. God is not paroksha. God is actually a paroksha. 
I remember Swami Ramanandaji, who is now in Banaras, uh, a senior monk of our order. He told me when he was a student, his pre-monastic name was Marjit. So when he was a student, he used to go to Swami Premeshanandaji, who was a disciple of the Holy Mother. And Swami Premeshanandaji encouraged him to become a monk, which he did. Um, so one day, the Swami told me, one day, I had gone to him and the Swami Premeshanji was sitting on the bed and I bowed down to him. As I looked up, he said to me, as I looked up to Swami, the Swami leaned down and put his finger on my forehead. And he pushed. And I was startled, so I just jerked back. And the Swami said, there, there, that one which was startled. Other than that, there is no rascal called God. In Bengali, he said, what does it mean? Does it mean uh, that uh, he said, Marjit Ochara Kono Bhagavan? He called him by his pre monastic name and said that. Then what does it mean? Does it mean that person is God? No. He is not taking the primary meaning, Vachyata. When he says, other than that, there is no rascal called God, he is taking the Lakshyartha, implied meaning. Not the body, not that person called Marjit. Not even the mind uh, where the personality resides. Not that. Not even the causal body, the Ajnana beyond that. Beyond these three bodies, beyond these five uh, sheets, Panchakosha, um, Dehatraya, beyond these three, the witness of the waking, dreaming, deep sleep of Marjit. That one. Other than that, there is no other thing called God. That is the error about God. The God is something other than my deepest reality. Initially that error is good because uh, my idea about myself is body-mind. If I think this is God, then this is completely wrong. Totally wrong. Often the dualists accuse non-dualists of, of blasphemy. You think you are God, you miserable little creature. See, miserable little creature. What is miserable and little? Little is this body. Little miserable is this mind. Little creature. So the body-mind aspect, that is, in primary sense, if you take Vachyartha, the dualists are right. You, can, you should never identify yourself as God as a little creature. But right here, in this body and mind, shines that reflected sun, the Chidabhasa. And if you trace it out, if you can get it through Vedantic inquiry, I am that infinite consciousness, which itself shines as God through the entire universe. Then if you say, Aham Brahmasmi, even if you don't say it, you will know it. I am one with Brahman. So this is the, the two errors which are to be corrected. What is the error about myself? That I am a limited consciousness. I am only the little sun in the pot, the water in the pot. No. It, we all can, to some extent, we can say that. You know, it's like saying, I am not the pot, I am not the water, I am that little light in that water. That much is not difficult to understand. I am not this body, I am aware of this body. I am not the thoughts and the personality, I am aware of the thoughts and the personality. But that much only. From there, <laughs> uh, but you, that's not you. It's like looking at your face in the mirror and then beginning to think, ah, I am not the mirror, but I am that face. From that face, you have to come to the original face. Your real face. From the reflection of your face, Pratibimba, you have to come to the, uh, your real face. What is the problem? The problem is the real face is not seen. 
what is seen is an appearance is not real it's a reflection what is the real is not seen in the words of the british philosopher bradley who says what appears is not real what is real never appears <laughs> the very word appearance means false has two meanings appearance means that which you can experience it also means appears to be which means false that turn has to be done intuitively and that um, vedanta points towards it all these teachings that thou art it points towards that and we have to catch it intuitively here an um, opponent of vedanta asks a question hey wait a minute rain on your parade all this is very nice but language cannot give you direct knowledge of anything all sentences give you paroksha gyana so if you read something about central park have you seen central park no you will see central park you will get direct knowledge of central park when you walk down there and take a look at central park you will see central park but it, no matter how much you read about it or you see the pictures you are not experience central park so similarly language in the upanishads they give us indirect knowledge about brahman this is called paroksha gyana then you have to meditate upon it and a, and some kind of power will be generated by meditation and that will give you direct knowledge just like you read about central park then you have to go to central park and see it that will give you direct knowledge this is the view of actually one section of uh, advaita vedanta sub school not our view the traditional view of advaita vedanta is called shabda parokshavada shabda parokshavada means direct enlightenment from words from a sentence how the 10th man story you recall how it works there sentence was used twice you know 10 friends were going on a journey then they crossed the river and then thought did all of us cross they counted and the counter forgot to count himself so 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 where is the 10th man 10th man must have drowned they were crying then another person comes and says why are you crying oh we were originally 10 now we can find only 9 our friend must have drowned now that person the instructor the teacher says the 10th man is there don't cry the 10th man is there that knowledge is indirect the moment they hear oh the 10th man is there, they don't see the 10th man they don't get it in one sense they are seeing the 10th person but they don't get it so that knowledge is indirect so that sentence gave indirect knowledge and in the upanishads you have many such sentences satyam gyanam anantam brahma brahman is infinite existence consciousness still indirect brahman is that from which the entire universe comes in which it exists into which it finally uh, disappears indirect we just hearing about it we get some information but we don't directly experience anything then that wise man told that don't worry there is that 10th man is there where i'll show you now is coming another sentence but this one will give direct experience how this is count again 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 9 and takes his hand and turns it thou art the 10th dashamastvamasi and he says oh i am the 10th this knowledge is it direct or indirect it's direct it's not something he believes in it's something he gets immediately why is it direct because his own existence is directly present to him to him and he have just told him something about his own existence that that is the 10th 
So that knowledge that I am the tenth is a direct knowledge. How did it come? By the sentence, thou art the tenth. So sentence can generate direct knowledge also in rare circumstances. So there are Vedantic sentences, Upanishadic sentences, which give you indirect knowledge. There is something called Brahman. These are technically called Avantara Vakya, secondary sentences. And the Mahavakya, that thou art, I am Brahman, this very self is Brahman. This consciousness you are experiencing now, it is Brahman, if you would really appreciate it. These are all sentences which give you direct knowledge. If it works, if you understand. Yeah. For understanding all this, what we did little while ago, the whole process of analysis, uh, analysis of the great uh, sentence, so this is how it comes together. Sentences can give direct knowledge. Sentence like, thou art the tenth. Sentence like, the tattvamasi, that thou art. If the student is prepared, primed, let us say, it will happen in a flash. If it doesn't happen, repeat. Repeat the priming process. Study. Keep on studying. Shravana, manana. All of this will go on. Shravana, manana, nididhyasana will help. Until that breakthrough happens. But the breakthrough happens not because of anything else. It happens because of that sentence. That's why the Vedanta Vakya is called Pramana. Source of knowledge. Source of spiritual knowledge. Source of realization. Here, with, uh, I'll conclude with a little, very subtle and elegant observation of Vidyaranya. He says, what was the question? Sentences cannot give direct knowledge. All this is nonsense. You all, whatever you read about Vedanta, will keep on giving indirect knowledge only. And he says, no, there are sentences which can illumine you, which can directly uh, reveal the truth. Like the, thou art the tenth. So that was the, that's the classic answer to this objection. Vidyaranya gives another answer, which is very elegant, which I have not come across anywhere else, only in the Panchadashi. He says, if the sentence does not give you direct knowledge of Brahman, consider what a disaster you are building for yourself. Why? Look at it this way, he says. You, the jiva, your own existence is aparoksha. We have all agreed to this, that your own existence is automatically present to you. You don't even question it ever. You can question everything else, but not your own existence. The whole of Descartes' inquiries, skeptical inquiries, is stopped at cogito orgosum, that I think, therefore I am. So, some way or the other, you will come to the rock bottom, which is your own existence. So, when the student comes to the teacher, without any Vedanta also, student is certain of one thing, like everybody else, of one's own existence. The student's own existence is aparoksha, directly present. And now you are telling him that by coming to Vedanta and engaging in Vedantic study, you will get indirect knowledge of the identity of Jiva Brahma. Indirect knowledge of identity of Jiva Brahma. How will you get it? By Vedantic Shravana, Manana, inquiry into Vedanta. Identity of Jiva and Brahma. What kind of identity knowledge you will get? Paroksha. Indirect knowledge. You will be told that you are Brahman, that much, and that will be indirect. The indirect knowledge of Jiva and Brahma identity means that the Jiva also becomes indirect. Then. Think about it carefully. How did Dashamastvamasi, thou art the tenth, how did it become direct knowledge? Because the first of all, it worked only because the tenth man, his own existence was already direct for him. You just told him one more thing about himself. 
He said, oh, then the 10th, I am the 10th, that also becomes direct. But now you are saying, the poor fellow who has come to you with direct knowledge about his own existence, and he wants to know I am Brahman, you have said now, you, the identity of yourself and Brahman is indirect, which means <laughs> you are also indirect to yourself. The jiva came with his own direct experience of his own aparokshatvam and he wanted Brahma aparokshatvam in knowledge of his own infinity. Now, intermediary, you are promising him ultimate realization, but intermediary step after Vedantic study, what has happened now? His own existence, which is part of the identity of uh, Brahman and jiva, that also has become indirect because you are saying identity is indirect. Then Vidyaranya makes fun. He says that, it's like somebody who came with a amount of capital, money to invest so that he will earn some in interest. And following your scheme, he has not only earned any interest, he has lost the capital also. You came with the capital of Aparokshatvam, I exist. But I want to know that by which my existence becomes infinite and free of trouble. And you have taught me this wonderful Vedanta by which my own direct existence has become theoretical now. Your own existence is always beyond doubt. See, Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta is very simple actually. You have that infinite existence with you already. Sri Ramakrishna's, uh, you do not recognize it. You have that infinite existence with you already, you do not recognize it. Sri Ramakrishna's story of the diamond. The washerman got a diamond by, and he did not know what it was. He used, he thought it was just a shiny stone and he used it to scrub dirty clothes. But then he thought, it's a strange stone, not like anything else. Let me ask my friend, the vegetable seller. So he went to the vegetable seller. The vegetable seller was a little more educated than this man. He said, it's a special stone, that much I can understand. I will give you 10 rupees for it. But luckily that man didn't sell it. So he went to something, uh, to ultimately to he went to a diamond merchant. Each person was giving him more money. He went to a diamond merchant. Diamond merchant said, this is the best diamond I've ever seen. And I will give you a million rupees for it. And so the poor washerman, his poverty was removed, his sorrow was removed. This is the story of Vedanta. We have the diamond with us. Right now. What is the diamond? By which we are, um, uh, we are seeing, hearing. We are using it to scrub clothes. Seeing, hearing. We are fighting. We are unhappy. We are using that to become unhappy. If you are not conscious, you would not be unhappy also. We are using that to become miserable. So that diamond is with us already. Which is the diamond? Where exactly in our experience is the diamond? Your own indubitable, directly experienced existence. Your aparokshatvam. That's the diamond. It's, what is its nature? Its nature is consciousness, awareness. The undeniable consciousness which you have, that's the diamond. But now you have to be introduced to its diamond nature. That that consciousness in itself is infinite and not limited by body or mind. Not limited by suffering. That is what Vedanta does. It takes the aparokshatvam of the jiva and gives it the ananta nature of Brahman. You are an ananta aparoksha. Ananta means not limited in time, you cannot die. Not limited in space. Entirety of space appears in you, the consciousness. Not limited in object. You are not only this. Not that. Not like that. Everything, this and that, and everything else, appears in you, uh, shines in you, 
disappears back into you. Therefore, you are not limited, anantam, not limited in space, not limited in time, not limited by object. Desha kala vastu paricheda shunyam. That is called ananta, limitlessness. Your directness already available to you. Focus on that and try to realize the limitlessness of your directness. Let's, I'll put it that way. I coined it just now. The limitlessness of your direct presence, uh, even better. Your direct presence, our direct presence, which you experience all the time. Effortlessly we experience our direct presence. The limitlessness of that is revealed by Vedanta and that is moksha. That is freedom. That is the whole of spiritual life. I pray to Sri Ramakrishna, to the Holy Mother, uh, to Swami Vivekananda. By their grace, may we realize this. I was reading some unpublished anecdotes about them. Um, a senior monk told Swami Chetanandaji many years ago in Banaras. He had heard this from Swami Vigyanananda, one of the direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna. Many years after Sri Ramakrishna has attained Mahasamadhi, Holy Mother has attained Mahasamadhi, I think, yes. Um, Sri Ramakrishna came in a dream to Swami Vigyanananda and said, You have been talking about me. Talk about her also. Talk about her also. Why? And this is Muktir Malik to O. She is the she is the master. She is the one who gives moksha, freedom, mukti. It's her gift, not even mine. So she, the one who, upon whom she is gracious, she can give everything, dharma, artha, kama and moksha also. Then what is Sri Ramakrishna? Sri Ramakrishna is moksha. But to give that, to get that, that is our real nature. But to get that... In between, Swami Brahmananda was asked, why do you worship the Divine Mother? And Swami Brahmananda replied, because the keys to moksha, chabikati, the keys to moksha are in the hands of the Divine Mother. So our special prayers to the Divine Mother, in the form of the Holy Mother, Masharada here, is to bless us that in this very life, we may enter into the infinitude of our directly experienced existence. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ramakrishna Rupanamastu Take care everybody and stay well.